This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour, the best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports and look forward to taking your calls, getting discussions with you today as we talk about sports psychology. You know, I'm here every week. I've been on the radio now 30 years in Kansas City. Our shows are podcasted around the world, actually, all over the place. They're rebroadcast in a number of cities throughout the country the following week. And we talk about mindsets, attitudes, focus. It is springtime. Thank goodness. The weather's warming up. We're getting outside. The vaccinations are working. People are starting to be positive again, smile again. There's hope again. And I know a lot of people are really happy about the fact that hopefully this virus is getting under control and things are getting better. We're not quite there yet, but we're on the road. It is baseball time. It's Final Four time. It's springtime. And if you are a basketball fan, you cannot have, unless you're a UCLA fan today, enjoyed the Gonzaga-UCLA basketball game last night, which went into overtime and almost went into double overtime and ended with Jalen Suggs of Gonzaga sinking a three-pointer almost from midcourt, calmly dribbling the ball up and knocking in a three to put Gonzaga in the final against Baylor, which was the prediction most people have the top two teams. How did he do that? How did he concentrate and focus on that? We're going to have a guest throughout the show today. His name is John Yeager, and he's quite an, an interesting man. He is one of the top goaltenders in lacrosse in this country. He's in a whole bunch of Hall of Fames, high school, college, and professional Halls of Fame in New England, Massachusetts, as a lacrosse goalkeeper. He's named one of the top 20 New England lacrosse players of all time, and he's just written a book called The Coaching Zone, Next Level Leadership in Sports. He's going to be joining us our last three segments of the show today. Talk about leadership, talk about coaching, talk about what it takes to be successful. I'll be interested to talk with John about his views. You know, pressure, performance, anxiety, stress, confidence, all these words fit together. And obviously here in Kansas City, we've been very blessed to have had a football team the last three seasons that's, that's been very, very good. Two Super Bowl appearances, one AFC Championship game loss, and then, and then two wins and a Super Bowl win and a loss. But when you put it all together, tremendous leadership on that team by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Tara Matthew, a bunch of players. And how do you develop that leadership? We're going to talk with him today about that. We're going to talk with John about that when he joins us on our second segment. But I think as we go down and look at the history and great sports performances 
if you look at any athlete, male or female, professional, college, high school, whatever, there's a level of self-confidence that these people have. They don't stress under pressure. They thrive under it. They make the situation something for them that turns them on and turns them off. Now, I've been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist, one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. Trained under Dr. Robert Neidfer at the California School of Professional Psychology, San Diego, graduated in 1981. And I learned a lot about mindsets from Dr. Neidfer, and I've translated that into my work throughout these years. I've had the privilege to work with, with all levels of sports. In 1980s, I was the U.S. cycling team psychologist, went to three world championships and was in the 84 Olympics where the team won nine medals. I had the privilege to work with the Kansas City Royals a couple of times for a number of years. I was around great athletes like, like George Brett, Hall of Famer, one of the classiest guys I've ever met when it comes to an athlete. I've worked with college teams. I've worked with high school athletes and coaches. I've, speak, I've spoken, I've, I've given speeches on these topics. And I think there's something that we can learn and develop as we grow about these, these qualities. And, and basically, essentially, what it comes down to is I think you learn about not being afraid to fail. You learn about thriving under that situation. It turns you on rather than turns you off. Now, my producer, Blake Snyders, he played sports for a long time as a football player. He's not playing anymore because he's out of college, thankfully for Blake. They, did, they said I couldn't stay longer. I wanted to. Well, but. you probably would have been there <laughs> seven or eight years. But let me ask you this question because I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Yeager this when we get him on the show. Leadership, confidence, positivity. How do you get that, Blake? What do you, you played around a lot of football players over your years. What do you think it, it is that allows someone to have those qualities? I think one of the biggest things that – are you talking about from a coach's perspective or just from a I'm leadership, from a, just from a player's about it perspective? Just talking in general. Um, well, okay, then I'll take it two different ways. From a player's perspective, I think it comes from wanting to be the person who would love to lead by example. And that's not to say, hey, I'm going to go out and show off that I'm the best player. It's I'm going to do everything right because I want to, because I know it'll make me better. And I hold you to the same standard. Typically, those people I find to be, and believe it or not, I actually did fall into this category. I always wanted to be, just do everything right, because I know if everybody was out there doing everything right, we as a team would move forward. Okay, but you didn't always do everything right. No, no, no. So, so here's my point. When you don't... How do you come back from that? Because I think that's what we learn and develop as we're younger. Yeah. And when we fail, because we all fail, believe me, I failed a lot. Ask oh, my yeah. kids. Um, oh. <laughs> my sons will tell you that. No, no, but seriously, it, it, I, I think when you fail, it's how you learn and grow and thrive from that. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost how you bounce back and how you portray your failure to your teammates. There's a couple different ways people fail. The, the way of leadership is if I fail, acknowledge my failure, learn from my failure, and try to minimize the mistake that caused that failure in the first place. If you can, if you can exemplify those three things and, and show that noticeably, instead of getting mad, blaming it on somebody else, not taking ownership or responsibility for it, that's what a true leader is. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, but I think a lot of this comes down to 
as a youngster, as an adolescent, and as a teenager, when you screw up in a sports activity, in school, in band, in choir, whatever, in a relationship, you'll take ownership of it. You, you look at what you did wrong and you challenge yourself to grow from it. And I think that starts with the way we're raised and the values we're taught to not be scared to screw up. And I think that's why we see, if, if we listen to the Jalen Suggs story after the NCAAs are over, and you know we'll we'll know obviously our our show is rebroadcast throughout the week. By the time the show is rebroadcast, we'll know who won, whether it was Baylor or Gonzaga. But we're going to hear, you know, this this is one of the greatest shots in NCAA history, in overtime to go to the final the the championship game, shooting a three, calmly dribbling the ball off the court and shooting it and drilling it, like it was it was it was no problem. Okay, so that calmness, that confidence has to come from the way he was, he was taught and, and, and raised and coached. Well, and I think you, you said something that I think is, we say, we hear a lot, but we don't actually know what's behind that. It's, it's, you know, learning from your failures and learning how to grow from them. But it's, it's almost funny, you know, they say practice makes perfect. Well, the more that you fail and the more you learn from each failure, it's almost like you have to fail a certain amount of times for you to become comfortable with not worrying about failing because well, you know you're going to grow from it. And it's not just once. Sometimes it's not twice. Sometimes, I mean, you listen to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan didn't make 87 game or, you know, 60 game winning shots. He missed a thousand game winning well, shots. Well, that's the whole thing I always like to say. Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, two years before he retired, set the record for most missed shots in NBA history. And that record will probably stand for a long time. He missed more shots than anybody in the game. Of course, you, there's always the quote, you, you never miss a shot you don't take. So he wasn't afraid to miss. And I think that's the whole key thing is you get to a point, and I know watching George Brett in 1990 win his third batting title, you know, he, he, he hated making it out. I can tell you that right now. He didn't want to make it out, but he wasn't afraid to go after it. He wasn't afraid to screw up because that's part of what it's about. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. 
Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your football buddy. Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports. Our shows are rebroadcast throughout the country in a number of cities and podcasted all over the place. You can find them on Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, all over the place. And I'm privileged this morning to have a guest now with us. His name is Dr. John Yeager. He is one of the greatest lacrosse players in this country. He's in all kinds of halls of fame back on the East Coast. And John, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate being here. Last night, I don't know if you saw the uh, Gonzaga-UCLA game. But the uh, Gonzaga player, Jalen Suggs, just dribbled the ball up at the end of these uh, overtime and, and sank a three-pointer that won the game for him. What do you think it takes for somebody to do that? Well, I think it takes a lot of uh, practice, you know, trial and error over and over and over again, you know, to get to the point where there's almost ice in the veins. You know, so it allows for him to, to do things through repetition that he's been in those situations before. And this is just another one of them. 
So it's it's uh, in many ways he's not looking at well is my shot going to be the one that wins it or not. It's just that what he's trained himself to do. He's not thinking if I make this we win, if we miss it we lose. I've, I've got the ball. Let's shoot it and see what happens. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Now, how do you? But how do you develop that? And you played you played in the goal. Okay, and I've yes, worked, I, I haven't worked with many lacrosse players because in Kansas City we don't have that much. Lacrosse is growing rapidly here. But I've worked with goalkeepers in, in hockey, in soccer. I've worked with closers in baseball, field goal kickers in football. And really the mindset is sort of the same, isn't it? Yeah, it's very similar. There's almost, uh, there's almost in some ways, two games going on. It's the, it's the, it's the game that the goalie or that specific uh, position is involved in and they're part of a team that's playing against another team the second piece is more of the inner game is the uh, you know for the, for the for the goalie in any of these sports it's the opportunity to be against the shooter at that time okay or it's the opportunity for the field goal kicker to be that with you know putting it through the uprights so they're they're looking at kind of two different two different types of games I think those people in those specified positions who have the capacity to really focus on what they need to do, almost making it mechanical at that time, tend to be more successful. My guest today is Dr. John Yeager. He's an author of a number of books, the newest one, The Coaching Zone, Next Level Leadership in Sports. So let me, let me ask this question, John. On your website, yeagerleadership.com, you said you help clients focus, shift, and maximize. Tell us what that means. Well, in many ways, we, we help people, and, uh, you know, if we go from a specific, whether it's business or education or sports, I think looking at three different focuses to shift from, and if we're thinking about athletes or, in many ways, coaches, which the coaching zone um, is all about, the, the first shift is, is that of self-awareness, that, that, that coaches and athletes, you know, know what their stories are and how those stories influence their motivation. In noticing their being aware of their strengths, being aware of their shortcomings, and also being aware of their purpose. So that's that first shift to be really able to do that. And then to seamlessly shift Andy into the next area, which is, you know, I use this with mostly with coaches, their capacity to lead and empower their athletes, okay, or lead and empower themselves, you know, at that time through cultivating, you know, uh, connections. You know, with athletes to trust, mattering, um, empathy, effectively challenging them, giving them good feedback, but also with coaches, you know, letting go of control to a certain degree. So that's that second shift. So in many ways, if the coach doesn't have it, a, a really strong awareness, in many ways they're not going to have a greater awareness of the athletes that they work with. And that becomes a problem because they're not doing everything that they possibly can to be the best coach they can be. And that third shift is to orchestrate a choreograph the team dance. And the team dance is uh, looking at what's the rhythm and flows of the team that I coach. Okay, in, in, in that, how do I get accountability? How do I get support? And so sometimes coaches need to focus just on the team. Sometimes they need to focus on the individual athlete. Sometimes they're able to uh, focus on, you know, just need to focus on themselves. And it's that capacity to shift back and forth at the right time for the right reason, I believe, helps make coaches more effective. I've talked for years about coaches wear many hats. They're 
leaders, their guides, their psychologists, their disciplinarians, their teachers. But I, I have a saying, John, a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And unfortunately today, unfortunately you like that, don't you? I, I, I like that a lot. Anyway, the, the, today we, we see so many examples of coaches who lose control of their emotions, their, their focus, their mindset, and it affects these athletes in such a negative way, especially at, at young ages. And as we talked throughout the show today, I want to talk about that with you because, you know, when you you take an athlete like Jalen Suggs who made that shot yesterday to put Gonzaga into, into the championship game, obviously along the way he had to have been guided by some great coaches to that taught him confidence, right? Exactly. So anyway, yeah, from a, from a standpoint of confidence, it really looking at this idea of 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 of. I, I use the term hero here. It's based on Fred Lupin's work from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And hero stands for hope, efficacy, or confidence, resilience, and optimism. That's psychological capital. So many ways that with Jalen Suggs, he, he had developed a level of high psychological capital, right, where he's able to have hope, where he knows what the goal is. Okay, He has certain pathways to get to that goal. And he had that pathway down the court, literally and figuratively, you know, to, to hit the buzzer beater. And then uh, the uh, the third piece, he has the agency, in many ways, the confidence to be able to do that. And he's established the confidence through a variety of different ways, through doing having mastery experiences that he's accomplished over time and being able to refer back to those mastery experiences to provide uh, a new experience, something that he, he need, has needed to work on. In my sense, is throughout his career, okay, even before college, he was able to do that. And, this, and the second thing is here is that there's a state to get that conf- to the confidence to that level is that he has had been recognized by Coach Few and his fellow players and other people. And just the way the media was playing him up before the game, it seems like it's just a really kind of neat thing where he's been, you know, recognized and say, you know, yeah, you are good, <laughs> you know, in there. And, and then the other piece that he's psychophysiologically ready for the moment. Yes. And that's another. That's a big piece of this. Yep. We're going to, we need to go to our break here, John. But I, I, when we come back, I, I want to talk about failure. I want to talk about how we learn from failure, how it's a growth experience for people. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Dr. John Yeager. He has a new book out called The Coaching Zone Next level leadership in sports. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. 
America. Your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week discussing the mental side of sports with you. And my guest today is Dr. John Yeager. He has a new book out called The Coaching Zone, Next Level Leadership in Sports. He's one of the greatest lacrosse goalkeepers in this country. He's in a bunch of halls. How many halls of fame are you in, by the way? I'm just in, mostly in the New England Hall of Fame, the New England Hall of Fame, uh, the Eastern Massachusetts Hall of Fame, and uh, in my college Hall of Fame, Boston State, which is now actually uh, UMass Boston. And it's, you know, I, I played a while back, so the game has, has significantly changed over time. But I think the, the, the most important thing, and if I may, that, that it comes down to the, 
you know, what I learned during those times has really helped me in my ability to kind of communicate the mental game with the, the athletes that I coach today. Well, tell everybody what you do. Well, basically what I do is I, I work with individuals and teams from a standpoint of how do they bring out their joy, okay, their purpose, and performance in in their sport. And I help them look through, as I mentioned the other time, their ability to shift back and forth from their own self-awareness, you know, and how do they then, then function on the field or court or rink, you know, and then how do they function within the team. And okay. so then look at from a mental, you know, uh, uh, mental preparation perspective, how well do they do, how well do they uh, focus on, on on success and kind of a mastery approach to what they do as opposed to living with a, a strong fear of failure. You just hit that word failure and the word fear, okay? Um, my great uncle, Hurst Jacobs, is the winningest trainer in horse racing history when he died 51 years ago, a long time ago. He won 3,596 races and he was a big influence on my life growing up and um his daughter my cousin patrice on the horse won the triple crown in 1978 named affirmed i got to be around my relatives a lot growing up and i'm very close with my cousin patrice now as well and we've talked so much about success and failure in fact my uncle taught me a quote growing up sports is the greatest theater in the world everyone knows their part but no one knows what will happen and uh, his son my cousin tommy re-emphasized that to me and and that's sort of become one of my mantras with, with what I talk to people about. You don't know what's going to happen. But, John, failure is such a, you know, we all fail. We all screw up. We all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Good coaches, I feel, teach failure. They teach their athletes that it's, and, and, and let me just go off on this and then get your thought on it. They teach athletes it is okay to fail because you're going to do it. Not that you have to like it, you have to enjoy it, but it's okay because it's going to happen. But how you learn from it, how you grow from it, is going to make you better. Let me get your thoughts on that. Well, one is if coaches can establish a level of vulnerability trust with their athletes, and what I mean by vulnerability trust um, is is the capacity is that the coach can actually be, you know, athletes can model off the coach where the coach makes mistakes and failures too. And to have that level of trust that's going on between athlete and coach so that the athlete doesn't kind of look over his or her shoulder back at the coach when they miss the hoop, okay? And so that they, they feel like, you know, okay, they've made a mistake. It didn't feel good, you know, especially it happened at a critical time in a match or a game. But they also know is that not being judged as a person because of that. Let me, let me, let me, so stop, you right, let me stop you right there. They don't look back at the coach, okay? See, I think an athlete that ends up doing that when they were younger – got criticized, yelled at, cut down, demoralized when they made a mistake. And then they develop yeah. that insecurity. And then as they get older, when they make mistakes, they're always looking over there to either get to that support, reinforcement, or negativity from the coach. Exactly. It becomes a belief system that becomes entrenched, almost like a gut-in-the-mind response, is that that it's just an automatic response that, that their system goes through and they go straight to that emotion and that they've, they've said that they've failed. And that's why it's so important, especially with our youth coaches today, to be able to see that and to actually see what a deer-in-the-headlights look is in a young athlete when something happens like that so that they can help to build that athlete up to understand that failure is 
you know, and I know we talk about it's, it's cliche, but it's, you know, it's part of a game, and that's one of the few ways that we can, you know, it's, 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 it's the only way we can grow is if we fail before and we go through that trial and error. Well, so, and uh, so, yeah, it, it, give you an example. I've worked with many, many NFL kickers, place kickers and punters, and one of the things we talk about, I've, I've worked with a young man this year who's a very successful place kicker, and we talked about not that you want to don't want to miss a kick, extra point, field goal, blow a kickoff, but when you do, how are you going to react to it and respond and come back from it versus let it get in your head? And I know there was a game where he missed a kick, missed an extra point, and then came back his next kick and kicked a, a field goal well over 50 yards. And because he said, Doc, you know, my whole focus is like he was telling me TNK, the next kick, the next kick. You know, I missed it. I looked at what I did wrong, blew it out of my mind and moved on. And the coaches, you know, they're, they're fine because they know that's where my mindset's at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember this was one uh, we were playing state championship game in Indiana years and years ago. And one of my athletes got penalized for an illegal stick, which is uh, a three-minute unreleasable penalty, which means that they have to be, we have to be manned down for three minutes, and that's usually the other team has a great chance to score a lot of goals there. So he came off the field, looked at me with deer in the headlights, and I had to make two decisions. One decision at that time, and my options were to look at him saying, you know, like, you know, gruffly, what were you thinking? Or as opposed to saying, okay, and then basically what I did is I, I took the high road, and when he came off the field and went to the penalty box, I said to him, I said, John, you you know, you did, did make a mistake, and just like you said, Andy, about the with the place kicker, is that you got 30 seconds to grieve <laughs> about what just happened, okay? Then what I want you to do for the remaining two and a half minutes in the box, I want you to watch the game and see how you can make a difference when you get back out there. And so basically... And, and then I said to him, we need you out there. We need to, you to help make this happen for us out there. So it was in many ways helping him to reframe and saying that, you know, look, I, 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 I can't ruminate over this much longer, okay? It doesn't feel good, but I need to somehow accept and tolerate that. And then if the coach is modeling that with their athletes, that, that speaks volumes to the capacity that the athlete has to, to work through that failure and get back out there and, and do their job. And if they do that enough times, similar to the place kicker that you're talking about, or, or a golfer who hits a, um, you know, sprays, sprays the uh, uh, tee shot into the woods saying, you know, just that's just that one shot, okay? Now what I need to do is to think about what goes on there next. Well, and that's where, it, it, in our last segment, I want to get into the, the importance of visualization and confidence. Because those those two words, I think, reflect so much about the ability to be successful. Because I think, you know, I, I always tell an athlete when they make a mistake, you know, assuming that you know, they're not on the field continuing to play, but they have a second, visualize, you know, look at what they did wrong, then visualize doing it correctly and move on to the next play. And take that positive image in their mind into the next play. What do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. If they have those images in there, because our minds... You know, uh, there's a thing that John Kabat-Zinn, who's the uh, guru of, of mindfulness, uh, talks about called the, the, the monkey mind or the drunken monkey. We've all got that somehow sitting in our head that can kind of go off and, you know, just, 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 you know, just thoughts bounce off our head saying, you know, I screwed up, I stink, and, and all that stuff. But if that's that bad movie or that horror movie, and if we can create enough movies in our head 
of, of, of success, even small successes, that prepares us well for when the present moment comes up and you act appropriately with there because you're making that kind of psychophysiological connection about what you have stored in your brain and getting that through all the, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the neurology throughout the rest of the body so that you're going to perform in that situation. My guest today is Dr. John Yeager. He has authored, co-authored several books, and the latest is The Coaching Zone, Next Level Leadership in Sports. And when we come back from our last break here, John, I want to talk about fear, okay? Because I think overcoming fear, not, not learning to accept being scared, being afraid as part of what you're doing is, is so important. And I've found that the, that the top-level athletes are not afraid. They don't have that fear in their, their mindset. They deal with negativity. They deal with failure, but they're not afraid. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting? Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. 
Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guest today is Dr. John Yeager. He is the author of The Coaching Zone, Next Level Leadership in Sports. He's one of the top goaltenders in lacrosse history in this country. And having a fascinating interview with John. John, I mentioned the word fear, okay? Everyone's got fears. We're all afraid of things. But I think, and this goes back to, to coaching kids, one of my my passions is sportsmanship and youth sports. I co-authored a book called Just Let Them Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports with Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery and USA Swimming Hall of Famer Coach Pete Malone. And fear, we're, we're all afraid of something. Afraid of, but It comes to sports, fear of screwing up, fear of letting people down. I think one of the biggest problems a lot of kids have is fear of, of letting their, their coaches down, their parents down, getting yelled at, getting criticized. I just had a young, a, a young athlete in my office the other day uh, who, when she talked about, I had her parents in there. The first time I met her, I met her parents previously. And, you know, what are you afraid of? And she goes, I'm afraid my dad's going to get angry at me. Why, if I if I screw up? I mean, how, what would you say to that? Well, that's that's concerning, uh, Andy, uh, in, that, in that there needs to be kind of a strategy to, to work with her and and all athletes, you know, who, who um, you know, fear that they're going to, uh, that they're not competent, that they're going to let somebody down. It reminds me of a set of belief systems. And usually what happens with fear and shame and guilt tend to come out first. Emotions tend to show up first, and many times athletes and young athletes don't understand what, uh, what is the thought process behind there. And so in many ways, with this young athlete that you're talking about, she she basically was fear of violating the violating the rights of her parents <laughs> in many ways that or or she felt guilty that yeah she was violating the the rights there and felt fear because of that and and the thing is that to work to try to help you know people coaches and sports psychologists can help young people kind of work through that by changing what that belief system is so they get they get past that emotion you know, because uh, the emotion just tends to take over. It's so visceral, the negative emotion, uh, that, that to begin to talk about the, uh, the, the, the belief system. And, and coaches, okay, and parents can, can establish that vulnerability trust, as I mentioned before, with, with their sons, daughters, and, you know, in their athletic um, uh, venues, and to help them to learn to, 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 understand that you know whatever they do out there they still love them so when i was 11 years old i rented my first road race okay in framium massachusetts and it was july 4th i got there and everybody was it were all adults there i was the only kid there and i just the fear just went flying through me i looked over at my father and he just gave me a smile and that smile said everything andy and it smith said to me is is that john you don't have to do this. You can do this. You don't have to. So I stayed in there, stayed with the fear. Gun went off. Three-mile race. Uh, came in dead last. The parade afterwards almost caught up to me. It was July 4th. But the bottom line is that it stuck with me before because 
because no matter what, it was unconditional caring and unconditional love. And if coaches can do that and if parents can do that in that way, and that means that there needs to be that level of parent and coach education to get them to understand is what how they communicate, whether it's verbal or nonverbal with the their son or daughter, uh, with the athlete. Is, is critically important. Okay, so that's excuse me. So that so that brings up the word fun, and yes. what what I find with you know uh, I, I, one of my concerns about youth sports today is we have all these incredibly intense, high level competitions for younger kids, and we're having you know we, last week I talked with a guest about traveling teams at young ages, how he he believes that. You know, we've got way too many kids traveling at 9 and 10 years of age in these elite-level sports teams. And and I'm seeing, and I've been in practice 40 years, John, I'm seeing now a lot of young athletes coming to my office who are 11, 12 years old who are burned out. And they don't want to play anymore. And 13 and 14, like I, I had a college soccer player I talked to on Friday. And she is a freshman. She's starting on her team. She's doing well. Um, but... She's had to battle some injuries because they didn't really. Have, they had a fall season and now they have a spring season. She's played soccer nonstop since August. She's got these injuries and, and mentally she's sort of burned out. And she said, "You know, I, I've always loved soccer. I still love it, but I'm I, I'm, I'm just tired. And you know, I, I, I it's not fun anymore. So how do we keep the fun in sports and and get kids to love it? Because I think that the intense competitions at younger ages are taking some of the fun out of that." Well, I think for, for parents and for coaches, you know, who kind of drive the bus with that, they need to realize that, that you know, what is the motivation for them to be, uh, you know, be out there as a parent and as a coach and to understand what do they want for their son's daughters, for their athletes out there. And the idea, if they say it's fun, if they say, and, and many will say, yeah, they want their child to have fun and they want them to have everything else, too. I think what's really important is that they need to kind of sit back and see how they can actually, you know, orchestrate the dance or the environment so the uh, the athletes, the, 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 the child's having more fun out there. Um, Drew Highland, who was at Trinity College for many years and is kind of a sports philosopher, he said, he said the sports experience many times, and just as you said, Andy, too, is that you're not always sure once you step over the line how it's going to go out there, you know. But the thing is that sports can make us feel complete and whole, and I believe part of that is is the notion of fun. Has fun has fun has fun gone out out the window to a large degree in youth sports because we're focusing so much on development and you know getting better and better instead of just enjoying the experience. Well, it's it's certainly it certainly worked a little bit in that direction. My hope my hope is with how. With COVID and the inability over the past year for actually kids to go out there and have fun, instead just having Zoom strategy meetings with their coaches, you know, for coaches and parents to begin to realize what fun was missed by not being out in the field in that, you know, arena with other athletes then. So I might hope there might be a little shift in that. Now, will it get back to the point where it gets so developmental? That's possible, too. But I believe in many ways there's a strong groundswell of, of, of coaches out there who are trying to make that shift and making it part of the core values of the team 
that that the the parents have to pay attention to the core values of the team. Well, and that and that to, and excuse me, and, and that to me is also where uh, you mentioned with with COVID and coming back from that as we are now. Thank thank God. And I think one of the things that's important, and I've emphasized this forever on this show, you know, now with the psychological impact of everything. If you're a coach, I think have a meeting once in a while instead of instead of have a practice where instead of you spend the whole time practicing hitting or shooting or dribbling or whatever, have a practice to sit down and talk about feelings. How's everybody doing? Where are you at mentally? How are you handling things? How, how are you dealing with the stressors that, that, that have gone on? What are the expectations you've got? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's, it's, it's perfect, and, and that's, that, that allows for the coach to read the team. It, it, it offers a wonderful gift to allow for the student, the, you know, the, the athletes to be able to communicate with each other. Now, now depending on their ages, you know, some, you know, there may be, uh, you know, uh, coaches may have to provide more directed questions to be able to get responses out from their athletes. And I'm, I'm in favor of a lot of having, like, the teens meet, but also within this, Andy, is having them meet in small groups and talk about, you know, different things and put stuff down, uh, write stuff down on, you know, you know, what's been your higher moment? Why do you do this? You know, what, what do you enjoy most about being on this team? You know, when, when, was your, when do you have a higher moment, you know, on this team? Or what factors give life to, to, to you being involved on this team in this sport? And kind of write them down on easel paper. And then they present their small group work to everybody else. And so if you have a group of 20 athletes in the room, you've got, you know, maybe five groups of four, and they've all posted this stuff, and you find all these similarities that the kids end up coming up with. And I think one of that big pieces there is the, the autonomy supportive piece that kids, uh, coaches actually let go of control to a certain degree to allow the athletes to express and experience themselves on the uh, athletic field. John, we've got a few, just less than a minute to go. How can people reach you if they'd like to get a hold of you? I really appreciate you being on the show today. This has been great. Yes, yeah, so my uh, my email's john at jaegerleadership.com. One word there, too. My new book, The Coaching Zone, is actually uh, on Amazon now, Kindle and paperback. And this coming Thursday, uh, uh, April 8th, is the actual official launch. And that day, the uh, the Kindle book will be for one ninety nine. And you can also... Get to me through the coaching my uh, website at www.thecoachingzonebook.com. John, so thank really you so much. Listen, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fabulous. I'd love to have you on again. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. 